0: Hello my friends and welcome again to the DDP. I'm Paul White. It is the ninth day of February. Thanks for joining me in the journey through the gospel of Mark. We're in the third chapter. The first six verses tell the story of Jesus in the synagogue healing a man with a withered hand. And uh, I I probably should tell you this more often, give you, well, it's not a tell. It's just to give you a little study aid. These stories... Uh, very few in the book of Mark are unique to Mark. In fact, I don't want to. I, di- I didn't study this before I started this podcast today. But I, back in the recesses of my mind, I feel like there's not a single story in Mark that is only in Mark. Now I may be proven wrong by that as we go along, and one pops up. But I'm pretty sure if you see it in Mark, you see it elsewhere, and that's unusual. Um, I don't think any other gospel is that way, particularly John, of course. He's all kinds of unique material. So I ought to tell you once in a while where to find it. Um, Not everyone has a good reference Bible or a cross-reference Bible. Something I would encourage you to put into your library, by the way, is a Bible that at least has some sort of reference edition where you can easily reference one text with another text. Uh, but you could find this or a similar story to this in Luke chapter 6 uh, as Jesus uh, goes in to heal the man with the withered hand. Uh, I, I, I'll try, I'm going to try to do that a little more proactively as we go through Mark. I don't want to exhaust you with it and give you you know 15 references every time, but uh, it would be worth noting as you go. And the reason for that is because you see different angles on the same story, different takes. Luke comes later. What is shaped short up in his account versus what you're seeing in Mark? And if it is, why? Is it short up because it puts it a little more chronological, uh, possibly, because Mark is definitely not chronological? Um, or is it because he's had spiritual insight? We've talked about some of that in, in our lessons. And in fact, last Sunday, we aired a message for you called The Kindness of God, And we dealt with that very idea for the first 10 or 15 minutes of that message. We dealt with the chronological issues of Mark and Luke and why you need to pay attention to them. There's a statement made in the fifth verse, which is where we are today, that has really uh, pounded at my spirit since I started to prepare for this particular podcast. Uh, Let me just read for you verse 5. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved, By the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. I I told you yesterday we are going to try to get into the Herodians. uh, And we will. I will, but that's going to be the smallest part of today's podcast. It's going to be how we end and try to get out of this segment because I am really stuck on that thought. He looked around at them with anger being grieved. The word grieved, David Bentley Hart, one of the premier modern Greek Uh, translators, in his translation has this as being mortified, which is a word that kind of mortifies me. Think about it. Jesus looks around with anger and is mortified by the hardness of their hearts. And the reason why this mortifies me is I wonder, are there any instances where Jesus would be mortified at the hardness of my heart that I would not want mercy compassion spread as easily and as uh, (laughs) willy-nilly is the phrase that comes to mind as Jesus seems to give it. That he doesn't make people qualify. He doesn't ask the right questions. And here he is committing What on the surface is a breach of Torah. We talked yesterday about how for Jesus, healing on the Sabbath is not a breach of Torah. In fact, it would be a breach of Torah to him to not heal on the Sabbath. He sees the Sabbath day as the day when doing good should be foremost in our minds, not, not as if doing good should ever be in the back of our mind, but really he saw the Sabbath as the promotion of good, so the good that he does is not forbidden but rather required, if that be the case. He's stunned by those standing around him or doing nothing, and it leads him to two feelings. It's, it, I want to say a couple things. First of all, emotion is not bad. If it is, Jesus is double bad right here because he's both angry and mortified. These are emotions. These are emotional responses to the situation around him. What you do with your emotions are important. That's up to you. I spend a big chunk of a whole chapter in Greater Than Jonah talking about how we handle those emotions, why it's vital to our Christian journey to be able to identify our emotions, harness them, use them properly, not be afraid of them. Um, in fact, I've got a message I'm working on that's probably going to come out very soon that we're going to record. We've got to do an in-house recording soon for a, a weekend. And I've got a message percolating on our emotions and why we have, I think, maybe taken a step in the wrong direction by emphasizing identity at the expense of emotion. And I know identity is important. But there's something about our emotions that need paid attention to. So Jesus looks around with anger, and he's mortified. But the reason is because their hearts are hard. His response to this is not to beat them up, scream and yell at them, or go crazy. He will, at one point later in his ministry, have his anger percolate to the point that he turns some tables over. And we'll talk about that at another time. But he then turns to the man. and This is, this is twice In three chapters in Mark, that Jesus has healed as a result of an emotion. Remember in Mark chapter 1, he was moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and cleansed the leper. Mark chapter 1, verse 41. So compassion brought the anointing out in him. You know what else brings it out in him? This anger and this mortification. But he goes in here to heal because he tells the man to step forward. He's stepping the man into the controversy while he steps into the controversy himself. And the mortification at the hardness of their heart causes Jesus to restore the hand as whole as the other. Let me finish this off because I don't want to spend a whole podcast tomorrow on the Herodians. So let's land here in verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. The Herodians were a non-religious group. We would call them a political group and they were actually in support of the dynasty of the Herods. The Herods went all the way back to at least Julius Caesar, and the Herods were the reigning Roman-appointed family in the in Jerusalem. They literally were housed in Jerusalem. They the, the Herodians supported and demand, and uh, depended, I guess is the right way to say it, on this alliance. And that alliance was an alliance with Rome. There's no more alliance with empirical power than the Herodians. By collaborating with Herodians, the Pharisees have moved far away from the Old Testament ideal for the people of God, which was supposed to be separate from the nations of the earth and uh, there's, we're gonna get in, we'll get into the Herodian conspiracy because it, it was a lockstep with the empire. And we'll do that probably up in chapter 8. There's a little bit in chapter 12. We'll talk about that as we get deeper into the book of Mark. But if anything, the Pharisaical attachment to the Herodians should remind you of any religious group that attaches itself to political power. It doesn't end well. And that's neither a left nor a right statement. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless.